नमो so, uh, welcome everyone. A lot of people there. <laughs> and uh, I think many of you from Majan Majiro's retreat, your mind's all cleansed from defilements. <laughs> <laughs> so the the title of today is Who Needs Enlightenment <laughs> when I have my opinions. <laughs> I don't think up these titles, so <laughs> but um it's just like investigating concepts, words because we're so bound and limited by our attachment to ideas and and definitions, uh, perceptions that we 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 operate from and seldom question or investigate. So that's why you know the ignorance uh, of vicha in this Buddhist term of not knowing and not understanding dhamma is. Uh, the way the world is, it operates from its own con concepts, ideas, perceptions, cultural attitudes, opinions and views. And religions do this and nations and tribes and classes and movements, political movements and everything operates from this kind of conditioning. And then we, we incline one way or another taking sides with if we're for something or against something. And this is, uh, and this pointing to this, uh, enlightenment of course is a word, another word, which can be, you know, how, how, what do you really think enlightenment is? Is there a word, the Buddha was enlightened, what do you think that really meant? And uh, it's a, uh, when somebody gets enlightened, can, can, can you get enlightened? Can I get enlightened? What is enlightenment? And of course it is uh, an English word and um, it, uh, might, it means different things to different people. Usually it means like you, you've made the final step to be free from all delusion or you're uh, completely free from suffering and pain, misery or it means that you're, you're caught in a state of total bliss forevermore. And just, uh, just investigating uh, the use of the, the English word, enlightenment. Because we say the Buddha was enlightened. Now if, if any bhikkhus, you know, if we claim to be enlightened then that's a, and we're not, then that, we have to disrobe. That's <laughs> So any bhikkhu that goes around saying he's enlightened, beware. <laughs> and, 
And then uh, sometimes in the process of meditation, we go through stages where we think we're enlightened. You know, I think all of us can have period moments, um, momentary uh, feelings of knowing everything and being free from all delusion through meditation. And then, uh, then we can assume that, that I'm enlightened because of that those those precious that precious moment or insight. But uh, when you really uh, examine the the conditioned realm, you know the point of the Buddhist teaching is not to operate from the conditioned position, but from the unconditioned. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's not to to take sides if there's enlightenment or there isn't or I'm enlightened or I'm not enlightened or uh, was the Buddha fully enlightened or not enlightened <laughs> and on that because then we can only speculate guess because we're caught in the in usually operating from the sense of us of an ego a separate self a person a perception of something with an ideal of enlightenment and of course that's the, that's what the world is it's all uh, this illusory perception that we uh, are convinced is our, rea our reality, the real world. And in Vipassana meditation, you're really exploring, uh, investigating reality. You know, not just operating from doctrinal positions, Buddhist positions, or, or um, you know, a teacher or a guru statements or religious uh, teaching, but when you really uh, appreciate the, the teaching of the Buddha, it's not about doctrine or dogma or or uh, metaphysical truths that we operate from, but it's very what they call a priori style of investigation from the here and now, and that is uh, that's what mindfulness is. It's, it's the uh, only escape hatch we have in this realm as human individuals to break out of the realm of conditionality, to get beyond it, to see through it, to understand it, to know it in a direct way. So then that is, uh, so we're not operating from a belief or disbelief enlightenment or that the Gotama, the Buddha of ancient India was enlightened and so was uh, Sariputta Moggallana, and according to the scriptures and the the legends and the history, but the teaching is not about Gotama the Buddha. It's about Dhamma, the way things are. It's not kind of worshiping uh, 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 the Buddha as a historical sage, uh, even though we do uh, we feel this gratitude and respect. And the more you understand Dhamma, the more respect uh, uh, you, and trust you have in the teaching of the Buddha. But it's not a condition uh, sine qua non for being a Buddhist or for practicing meditation to believe in the Buddha. It, the first thing is to, is to get the, the attitude of attentive attention, awareness. Learning to tune in to the present moment and reflect this reflective capacity that uh, hum that all human beings have, 
is the is very, very much is the what the Buddha was pointing to in his teaching. It's a reflective style of teaching. Now then, opinions are, we can have good opinions, bad opinions, right opinions, wrong opinions, stupid opinions, <laughs> very intelligent ones. <laughs> but, but these are conditions, all opinions are conditions. Even the best opinions are still, you know, in their, what they are in reality is a condition. Uh, and as not to mention the worst, the stup- most stupid and whatnot of opinions uh, are the, you know, have the same characteristic of impermanence and not self. So this is a way of, of, because in the Buddhist world, in any religion probably, you all had experience with, with the strong views, religious opinions that people have about who's right, who's wrong, what's sin and what isn't, and, and what's the real true way and what isn't, what is pagan and satanic and what is uh, God's true way. <laughs> so, or the opinions about there isn't any God. You know, there's in the Christopher Hitchens and so forth, loves to go rattle on about making fun of uh, Roman Catholics or whatever because it's, you know, seeing that, that anyone who believes in God is a bit stupid. But he's operating from the same position, grasping opinions. And so this very grasping is what we're able to witness to in, uh, through mindfulness. Now this word mindfulness is, uh, is the essence, is the, is the key to the door, is the escape hatch from birth and death, from the realm of suffering. And so this is, uh, when, we, when, we really, when this point really sinks in, when you really begin to get it, and trust it, because it, it isn't anything at all, it's like no, no thing, nothing. It's not giving you a position to take or a doctrine to believe in or uh, you know, or to prove or disregard, but to examine. And we have various opinions, you know, like in the Theravada school of Buddhism uh, that we, we use here. I mean, we have our own conventional style, our own, uh, you know, the the traditional forms that that we inherited from the uh, ancient times. So it's a it's a tradition that carried on from we believe from the time of the Buddha to the present moment. And so it's a tradition. And now now examine this word tradition because we're living at a time where tradition is is usually mistrusted or or uh, resented or criticized. Because uh, this is an age here in modern day Britain where we're kind of throwing out all those things, old traditions, old customs and that, and the important emphasis is on self-expression, independence and human rights and, and everybody's opinion is equal. You know, it's my opinion, I have a right to, to give you my opinion and uh, this is a free country, democracy. <laughs> and so, it, it, you know, it was, uh, 
this uh, Irving that was giving opinions about there wasn't any Jewish Holocaust, you know. I mean, he, he said, I have a right to my opinion. Well, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right is right when we're the right to any opinion you want or have or grasp. But to know an opinion as an opinion is, is different. When you take idealism to its ultimate absurdity, you know, then it, then, you know, being free and, and, and asserting oneself and being free and having rights and everybody being equal, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an ideal that we hold to. And then we operate, then we, when we attach to an ideal, like an enlightenment can be an ideal. It can be so high, so good, so wonderful, that uh, we, we uh, you know, when we think about it as something so high that it's only special for special people, or maybe only the historical Buddha, maybe only Gautama Buddha was the, I've heard people say he was the only enlightened human being. All the rest weren't in somebody's opinion. <laughs> so, and so then, this is uh, an opinion that some people operate from. You know, it's imp I've heard even in Thailand, monks say it's impossible to get enlightened these days. One time, I witnessed myself some monks that uh, was with Lung Po Cha, and some monks uh, from uh, this town of Ubon came to see see him, and they said, "Well, you know." You can't really even attain stream entry these days. You can't even, not to mention being fully enlightened. And Lung Pancha said, well then why are you a monk? <laughs> you just want free meals, don't you? <laughs> he was good at making it. <laughs> With a smile on his face. But it was a good reflection, you know. It, it, uh, is a tradition just an end in itself, or is it, it what? It, how to use the tradition for enlightenment, for breaking through delusion, not to become um, institutionalized or become Theravadan Buddhists or become Buddhist monks or nuns or anything on that level. It's not about becoming anything, but using conventions for investigating reality in, as we live it. So then the, then we have traditional forms that are, you know, in part of the uh, uh, scriptures, scriptural uh, discipline, the Vinaya discipline, that has been able to carry the tradition through 2,553 years. So this, this tradition then has its you know, it, it, a lot of it is uh, has managed to survive, such as the the tradition we try to uh, operate from here at Amravati, working within the structure, within the limitation of this very ancient tradition. But it's not to just be kind of like one who worships antiquity or <laughs> or tries to breathe life into a into a corpse. But it's actually a practical 
convention for reflection, for investigation. So one time, this was years ago, in the early years with Lung Pan Cha, we were wa I was walking with him, uh, and, uh, and he said to me, uh, Sumato, you must find it confusing, you know, uh, sometimes, because Dhamma, it's all about letting go, not attaching to anything. And Vinaya is all about attaching. That's the discipline. You know, because we have this very strict discipline where you, you can do this, but you can't do that. It gets very fussy sometimes. It gets almost to absurdity, where you have to have, we have, if you get involved with monastic life, you have morning sugar and afternoon sugar. I mean, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but you can't mix morning sugar with afternoon sugar. I mean, that's how... <laughs> how detailed it can get. Now, and then, of course, that, those are the more kind of uh, minor, those are the very minor rules, but, but you get into the more heavy, heavy rules about, uh, you know, uh, saying that you're a, an enlightened Buddha when you're not, that's disrobing. You know, if you, if you think you are, and you're misguided, you're not trying to delude people, you just uh, maybe have this uh, delusion, it's not a disrobing offense, but if you're using, deliberately lying people to to uh, get their praise and get them to follow you, then that would be, you'd have to disrobe. Same with killing another human being and stealing. Um, these are disrobing offenses, sexual intercourse. Uh, is a disrobing offense. So this is this is, this are the what they call the heavy heavy things where you you know they they separate you from the song. The rest are all uh, re re remed have remedies to deal with them. But the point of it is you know how do we use convention in a religion? And I think this is very apropos to this time because. In, in all like the uh, Church of England, the Anglican Communion, and Roman Catholicism, we're all in the same boat, really, <coughs> trying to make sense of, out of our traditional forms in a society that is so drastically changed from in over a hundred years. From the expectations, assumptions we people made, say, a hundred years ago to the attitudes uh, that we find common everywhere through the uh, mass media, the internet, and countries, you know, even the most remote countries now in parts of Africa or Central Asia or whatnot, we're all connected now in communication. And of course the values, the ideals of the West have a, have a lot of influence and, and affects people very strongly, well, no matter what part of the world they live in, as well as the uh, learning to live together in, on a planet that is now crowded. You know, how are we going to live together? Uh, you know, there are about, what, six billion human beings now. And uh, this, uh, I imagine, is, is the most this planet has ever, ever had. And when you look at charts of population growth, you realize that, that uh, 
the the baby boomers, what they call after the Second World War, there's a, a noticeable increase of births all over the world, all over the planet. And before that, up through the 19th century uh, to the first part of the 20th century, it was pretty, you know, the population of the, of the world was pretty much on the same level, births and deaths and things like that. It wasn't uh, that much. And then after that, suddenly in the last hundred years, it's just escalated. And then we have, and then due to modern media, mass media, transportation, everything brings us all together. So we're not just isolated in our little kingdoms or countries, our little tribal areas. Uh, we, you know, whether we like it or not, we're, we're forced to live with each other. And yet it's a time where everybody's claiming independence, self-assertion, rights, and democracy, and opinions, my opinions count just as much as yours do, and so forth. So then, how do we deal with this? I'm not criticizing this, you know, I'm just pointing it out, as, as I see it, as I, from my point of witnessing. How do we, how do we come to terms with uh, human individuals uh, that are attached to ideals and uh, and operate from from the ideals you know and then of course this is uh, it gives us all a sense that there's something wrong all the time because life isn't ideal this is not about idealism this realm we're living in. it's about the way things are and so the Dhamma teaching of the Buddha is pointing at the way things are. And, and this, this expression, the way things are, is it's not, it's not saying, it makes no critical, has no critical emphasis whatsoever. It's not saying it should or shouldn't. When you get into should or shouldn't, then we get into wanting something. If it, if it isn't the way we want it now, we know how it should be. And if it is the way we want it, we know we, we would like to keep it this way and not let it change. So this is what we can actually know in, 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 through mindfulness, through awareness, through investigation of Dhamma, not in terms of analysis or right or wrong or views uh, or opinions of, uh, of uh, various individuals or uh, religions or cultures. So this is like, uh, within this human limitation, we're able to awaken. This awakenness is the, this word is, is very, just contemplate this sense of awakening. And this is the very meaning of the word Buddha. Buddha, the word Buddha itself, Sanskrit Pali word, means awakened, a, uh, a human individual awakened. So that's why, you know, you can have uh, the historic Buddha, Gautama the Buddha, with a, who was born just like we were, you know, uh, had a human mother and father and it wasn't, you know, descended from deities up in the sky and, and brought down uh, by a stork. 
even though some some of us were told we were brought into the world by a storm. <laughs> but I, I don't think my mother ever meant that me to take that seriously, because she definitely made it clear that she was my mother. <laughs> but this is this. Uh, Notice that, that this, this human form that we're experiencing, the gift of it, the, the blessing of our humanity, is our ability to awaken to it, to learn from it. From whatever conditions we find ourselves in. You know, we don't need to have the best conditions or everything perfect in order to awaken to, the, to reality, to the truth. In this way, it means that, that there's nothing, you know, whether you're disabled or young or old, male or female, uh, whatever race, uh, nationality, or whatever, these are, these are never obstructions to enlightenment. It's not about, we're in, in, it's not like a racism, isn't it, that, that a certain race uh, is enlightened and the others are. <laughs> That's an opinion, isn't it? Like, uh, Anti-Semitism, isn't it, based on, uh, you know, the prejudice against Jews, is, is an opinion based on, on a cultural attitude or opinion that people hold without realizing what they're doing. Any kind of racial prejudice, or like at this time in, in Britain itself, the, uh, the um, problems around... Islamic terrorists and the uh, and the, these kind of issues, you know, where we we form opinions about Muslims and what and prejudice against Muslims. We can create, you know, we can create a, a kind of anti-Muslim prejudice easily in this country uh, because people are gullible. Most people don't really know. They don't. They aren't awakened, so they operate from fear and what they're kind of conditioned, programmed to hear and take sides with. And, you know, this is speaking for myself. This is, this is why, you know, one of the reasons I became a Buddhist monk was because I could see, you know, just this heavy conditioning that I had. It wasn't bad, you know, I've come from... from good family and so forth. I'm not complaining about it. But it was based on a sense of how things should or shouldn't be, on ideals, and what's right and wrong, kind of fixed in cement, you know, so you, this is right and this is wrong, absolutely right, absolutely wrong. And, uh, you know, everything was spelled out in terms of absolute opposites. Uh, and good and bad, and heaven and hell. And yet, in all of us, you know, through that conditioning, there's a sense, a kind of sense of something more to life than just this program that, we, that we're instilled, that gets installed in our, in our consciousness through the conditioning process, you know, through the cultural conditioning, the social conditioning, religious conditioning. And then we judge others. We, we tend to form opinions about, like in, in the Buddhist world, we can say, you know, Buddhists can be as opinionated as anyone else. 
Uh, Theravada Buddhism is the real teaching. <laughs> and, you know, you ask, uh, if you go to Sri Lanka or Thailand, I'm sure you ask some monks, they'll say, it is the other stuff, Mahayana is, is not the real stuff. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Mahayana says, we're the higher teaching. And that makes Theravada look like it's, you know, lower teaching. <laughs> and and so it goes on. Just notice how these words affect and influence how we see things, you know, higher, lower, the original, the right teaching, the wrong teaching, the the Buddha's teaching, direct from the Buddha, the other is just came after the Buddha, it's not his real teaching. We're right, you're wrong. What is that you know, then you can observe that in yourself. Who's right and who's wrong? And, of course, then in terms of finding out what's right or wrong, this, we began to give up trying to find out what's right on the conditioned plane, but to observe, to be mindful of conditions, to know them, to operate from a higher level of conscious awareness where we, have, we can respond to the conditions we're experiencing in skillful ways. We, get, we can still have perceptions of right and wrong, good and bad. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not uh, denying the validity of co conceptualizing or pointing to this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. But in the process, uh, we're not told to awaken, we're merely told to grasp what's right, and try to resist and get rid of and annihilate what's wrong. <coughs> and then in the, the realm that we're living in is, is a conditioned realm. Your body is conditioned. You know, your eyes, uh, ears, you know, nose, tongue. The, the physical body is, a, is totally sensitive condition in a sense universe. We have to live in this realm of relentless, inexorable sensitivity for a lifetime. And, and it's not all about wonderful sensations and beauty and beautiful melodies and wonderful taste, is it? So much of our life is dealing with pain and loss, with discomfort, with, with growing, with sickness, with loss of loved ones, with changing conditions, with weather changes, with uh, cultural, social changes with wars and peace and fears and fads and fashions of the time are all changing. And they affect us because we're, we're sensitive forms that are affected by what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, and think. So, I mean, this is just the way it is. Putting it all into one package like that, pointing to the conditioned realm, which is non-judgmental, just pointing to its limitation. As long as we don't understand and operate from habits, from conditioning, from our own opinions about things, then we're, we're always going to feel frustrated and unhappy and, and ill at ease with life. Because, you know, we that's the way it is, that's the result, because the conditions we're attached to, uh, you know, you can't, 
you can't uh, control the conditioned realm. Right now, you know, you hear in the news this terrible uh, flooding in Pakistan. In you know, that poor country seems to have nothing but bad luck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thousands of people drowned villages and imagine what that would be like when we're sitting in this sunny day here <laughs> worrying about whether it'll rain tomorrow or not. <laughs> but uh, then in you know, then in Moscow you get these warnings about all these, these these polluting smoke clouds that hover over, uh, infiltrate the city. They're even warning people in Moscow not to go out into the street because of all the forest fires and the drought. And how can we control? You know, can, can we now we have to get a committee together to control so that there won't be any forest fires or floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, typhoons, hurricanes? We can't do it, can we? We can't outlaw those things, even none of, none of us, all of us, all of us don't want any of those conditions. Yet that's part of living on, on this planet. That's the way things are, that are beyond our ability, isn't it? And so it is frightening for us because we do feel helpless in a, in a realm that we have very little opportunity to control uh, for our own safety and benefit. And then during this past century, just in my lifetime, you know, I've seen the, the uh, Second World War. You know, I, fortunately I was living in America at the time, so it, would, it didn't affect us like it did here. But, you know, we were aware of this horrible war and of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, Nagasaki. We were, we had photographs of, of the, uh, of Europe after the after the Second World War, you know, Europeans Europe was just a field of destruction, and uh, you know, the civilized people had been been doing the most ridiculous, horrible things to each other because of opinions and views, not through wisdom, not through understanding Dhamma, but through holding to their opinion. On both sides, <laughs> whatever side you happen to favor, they both operate from the same ignorance. So this is uh, this is you know this is why we have such such things happen, and why we we have war and and why there doesn't seem to be any end to it. You know, when even when one war ends, another one starts somewhere else. So. Because of this ignorance of Dhamma and people just operating from the conditioned process, being programmed by various uh, societies, political ideas or cultural attitudes or religious biases. And then if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And so then if we get into the absolutizing, absolutism of right and wrong, then logically it makes sense. If I'm right, you're wrong, then I should either convert you, force you, compel you, or shoot you. 
I mean, there's certain logic there. <laughs> you know, we get rid of the pests, don't we, or the enemy, to kill the enemy, destroy, is, is the part of the logic of right and wrong, good and bad, good and evil. Now, awareness brings us beyond transcending good and evil, right and wrong, true and false. And this, this awareness brings us, is the uh, way that we have within these very limitations we find ourselves, our own conditioning, our own cultural biases, our own opinions, our own fears and desires, our own karma or uh, physical conditions, social conditions, whatever they might be, is that these are not the obstructions, these are, these are not obstacles to enlightenment. And when you begin to really appreciate that, then, the, then you begin to maybe have more interest in mindfulness meditation. Because this is quite in now in, the, uh, in societies like this one. People talk a lot about mindfulness. It's the, the word of the, of the time. And um, why? I mean, it's a good sign because that is beginning to maybe there is more awakening going on. Human beings are, you know, we're no longer expecting our governments to solve all our social, economic, political problems. <laughs> we don't expect uh, David Cameron to to make everything right, <laughs> unless you're a bit stupid. <laughs> and President Obama, you know, we think, you know, remember when he was elected, everybody was so glad and then thought that he could right all the wrongs. And now that he really can't do that much, everybody criticizes him. The fickle public. <laughs> but it's uh, because you can't just make laws and try to to, you know, make everything right. You know, that's one of the things that we all find rather difficult about this country, is that they've made, the last government made so many laws that, <laughs> that we're kind of, you know, it's hard to hold a family camp here. <laughs> <laughs> or to even uh, touch a child, you know, you could be <laughs> sued. <laughs> So you've got to get all kinds of insurance and and, and kind of do, put people through all kinds of examinations and fear of everything, of, of pedophilia, of child abuse, of, of everything going wrong, and then trying to pass laws to make it right. And of course, it just becomes very bureaucratic and dictatorial and frightening for us. So in, in this way, mindfulness is, is the way that we began to awaken individual human beings. You know, rather than just uh, make more rules to try to control the population so there'll be no more murders, no more child abuse, no more this, no more that. Because it seems that no matter how many laws one makes, uh, it still goes on. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it's, it's just like, you know, trying to, what they call herding cats, you know. 
the more you kind of force them to move, the, the crazier they go. <laughs> you can't, can't make them go in the direction you want them to. <laughs> so it's, this is the age where, you know, we are beginning to recognize there must be something more to life than just <coughs> try, trying to seek happiness in this one and and being rewarded in the next one for being good. Or believing that there's nothing in the next life when you're dead, you're dead. This is an opinion, isn't it? What happens when we die? You know, when a human being dies, what happens? We have our opinions. We all have opinions about what happens after death. You know, so it can be, you know, from the Christian perspective or to believing in reincarnation, rebirth, or and you know, Muslim heaven, or or going to live with Lord Krishna, or whatever Hindus believe when you die, get reincarnated. But the very fact is that that we don't really know at this moment. But we know we don't know, and not knowing, you're not aware of not knowing. When the opinions drop away, then there's this gap, this space. And through that space, through that gap, you begin to connect to pure conscious awareness. You know, you, you begin to recognize it, rather than just going around, Ajahn Sumedho says, Ajahn Amaro says this, and the Christians say that, and the Muslims don't believe that the Christians have the right attitude, they've got another one, then the Hindus, Zoroastrians, the Jews, who's right? Or is uh, Christopher Hitchens, Dawkins, they write atheists, there's nothing, Big Bang Theory, Creation Theory. <laughs> and, you know, we might be prone towards favoring, we can see that, favoring one opinion over another. You know, like some opinions, uh, here, in my own mind, or from others, I favor, you know, I incline to, and others I don't. And I'm aware of that. That awareness is, is what we call mindfulness. Awareness of my own preference for something, for some idea, for some way of doing something. Or my aversion, my resistance to, to somebody's opinion that I don't like and don't agree with is like this. The way, the way things are. That awareness then is, is this great gift of our humanity, is, is the, the, the great gift we have and opportunity within this human lifetime to understand in a profound way, not just through believing a scenario given to you by Buddhist monks, but by actually seeing for yourself realizing this uh, this word realizing is is an important word we use the words coming up have you realized what you've just said or <laughs> talk about but realization what's real what's reality and uh, any opinion about reality is not reality it's an opinion. 
It's a preference, maybe, or a, a bias, a viewpoint. But that which is aware, realizes, recognizes the opinion as an opinion. That you can trust. And that's sati sampajanya satipanya. That you can, that is uh, totally trustworthy. And, but it's, but recognizing it, realizing it. Because we are very strongly conditioned to operate from views and opinions from the force of habit, from fears, from prejudices. Now we all have a lot of fear in life because this is a fear realm. This uh, realm is all about fear. <laughs> and this sounds rather morbid maybe, doesn't it? Love and happiness because Love is is not to be dismissed, but just contemplating the conditions that we have to live in, you know, with the human body, with its changing conditions, with its tendencies towards sickness and pain, uh, uh, you know, and, and risks and, uh, you know, every, we now, you know, we try to live in a society where it's, where it's minimized, where we have a sense of security. <coughs> But we all know that, that it's possible to walk out into the street and a lorry run over you after this talk. <laughs> it's not probable, but we recognize that, that any of us, no matter how young and healthy we might be, our lives are not guaranteed. You know, old age is not a guarantee. That we are delicate, vulnerable creatures in a, in a universe that seems vast and powerful. It's so powerful that what the Pakistanis must be experiencing now, relentless rain, floods, loss, and inability to do anything about it. Maybe some people can't even save their families. You know, it's so sudden, so so intense that they can't even rescue their children or their wives or whatever. That's scary, isn't it? That's really frightening and yet it's nobody's fault. You know, you can't, we, immediately we want to blame somebody, it's the India's fault maybe. <laughs> For the Americans. <laughs> but, or the tsunami a few years ago, you know, the Sri Lanka, that was hit badly by the tsunami. And whose fault was it? <laughs> and then, so then, then we realize, then we can blame God, you know. I've lost my trust in God because he, he wouldn't have allowed tsunamis or this uh, terrible flooding of Pakistan. It's because our opinion of God is such, isn't it? It's not, we don't know what God is, we just have an opinion that, that if he's all-powerful, he shouldn't allow such things to happen. But in awakening to Dhamma, it's not about uh, asking favors uh, from, the, from the divine or from the heavens, but, you know, a kind of humbling willingness to learn from the way life is for you in the moment.
you know, it's, uh, what no matter what state you're in, in healthy, sickly, young, old, successful, failure, whatever, is not. These are the awakened consciousness is available to us all the time. It's timeless. So this is uh, like this. This talk this afternoon is merely a reflection, uh, an encouragement for you. You know, because we do need encouragement. Because it's so easy to be intimidated and caught up into the fears and problems of modern life, family life, worldly life. Uh, we find ourselves programmed for that. Our emotional life is, is conditioned, is programmed for reacting to praise and blame, success and failure. We, you, you can, you know, we all have our, what they call buttons that you can push, something that, that somebody says and you immediately kind of have an over, overreaction. Mm. You know, so we find what, what your button is. What can I say that you'll just fly into a terrible reaction? <laughs> You're living in a monastic community. <laughs> you learn a lot about people's buttons. <laughs> And your own, too. <laughs> I remember when I first when it started, you know, coming to England in 1977, you know, I had this very, very, I, still quite naive and inexperienced, you know, never, I had just 10 years as a bhikkhu. And so I, I all my buttons hadn't been pressed yet. But over the past 34 years, <laughs> there's probably a few left to be, but, but, they, but they, there is a, a confidence in being able to notice that, you know, where, where do I lose it? You know, what is it that really threatens me or frightens me? What is it that somebody says or does that really I you know, have an abnormal kind of reaction, a kind of overreaction to it. What is it? You know, and I, I'm not, you know, then, it, then I take an interest in that. What is it in me when somebody looks at me like that or says something like this that I just go into kind of overreactive mode? And so then I can actually use that for cultivate, for real, for the reality, because that what that's what my karma is like. You know, certain words, certain tones of voice, certain uh, attitudes can uh, can you know you feel somebody says something even in something inoffensive in a in a kind of unpleasant tone of voice of a reaction to. Or the way somebody walks. There used to be one monk, he's not here anymore, but, and, and he had the most disturbing walk I've ever seen. 
and I used to sit in the reception room, you know, and, and waiting for the meal and looking out that big window and this monk would come kind of slinking in, you know, in this kind of slimy, slinky way. <laughs> and every time I caught this incredible aversion arise toward them, and just not that he did anything or said anything. <laughs> That's sensitivity, isn't it? It's, it's like we are, we pick, you know, body language or or tones of voice. That's what being sensitive is all about. You know, it, it's just this, this is our, this is what we learn from. It's, uh, it's, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just to get the, to be able to see the package we have to live with. It's like this. And, and this package I call Ajahn Tomatoes like this. You know, it's not defending it, justifying it, but just accepting it. It's not saying I shouldn't or shouldn't have felt aversion to the slinky monk. Because <laughs> ideally I didn't want to feel aversion, you know. And ideally I want to have love and kindness towards everything. But, uh, but emotionally I felt this incredible aversion arise when the, I see this monk coming towards me. And so that's just the way it is. Now I couldn't do anything about the monk, but I could do something about myself. And beginning to recognize that, learn from it, then I could actually let go instead of just trying to feel guilty like I shouldn't feel such aversion. He's a good person, good monk, and it's, I'm wrong for feeling this way would be one reaction. Because the ideal tomato loves everybody equally and, and just accepts everybody the way they are wi without, uh, you know, preference. That's the ideal Ajahn tomato. And then <laughs> in the moment, this is what I'm feeling. It's not ideal, but it is the reality of the moment, a condition, an emotional reaction is like this. And that which is, is aware of the reaction. That's it, that awareness. Now that, that, putting that in the context of this superb paradigm of the Buddha, the, the, like the noumenon the, and, and phenomena, noumena phenomena. When you're mindful, you, you are this noumenon. It's, it's impersonal. It's, it's reality itself, but it has no quality that you can, you can't claim it, but you can trust it. So it's, in, it's intelligent, there's discernment, there's wisdom coming from this, enabled to <coughs> discern the conditions we find ourselves in and learn from our own reactions to them, our own tendencies, preferences, biases, opinions, and views. So one can say this is enlightenment, seeing things clearly from this pure light of awareness. It's not a light that's filtered through distortions of perception. Consciousness then, you can say, is light itself. Consciousness light, 
wisdom. Now, these might sound very philosophical and theoretical, <laughs> but, but in terms of the reality of this moment, the conditions are this, this body, this, this uh, emotion, this uh, feeling, uh, the, the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, is like this. And when I reflect in this way, then I, I have uh, more and more, I can see things from this perspective, from awareness rather than from just, uh, you know, rearranging all my views or condemning them or blaming others or trying to suppress them or trying to change them or feel guilty about them or whatever. I have a way of just seeing them. They are what they are. There's, uh, and through this wisdom ability to discern, then our responses to life move toward good action rather than bad. You know, we're not basically evil, selfish, nasty little creatures. You know, we, we all, you know, the, there's this love, this universal acceptance of, and totality that we can tune into, that we can recognize uh, from this very vulnerable position of our human limitation, human body and uh, karma. So, you know, what I encourage you to do, like encouragement is, you know, the, the, my intention for these kind of talks is encouragement because we we need I need encouragement we all need encouragement <laughs> because uh, you know it's not a matter of of you know making any problems about yourself or your particular situation or conditions it's it's encouraging you to to notice to waken you know I can't make you you know and if I had a magic wand and could do it I'd do it you know I'd tap every one of you. But I, I can't do that. <laughs> the best I can do is encourage you. Then. <laughs> so the tea is now manifesting on the servery. So I invite you all to have some tea. And then afterwards, uh, uh, 20 minutes or so, we can have a discussion.